So recently when the Arcadia Group went into administration, their brands were bought by ASOS, who didn't buy any of the high street shops, but they paid $295 million for a few brand names, effectively, Miss Selfridge, Top Shop, wow. Top Man, and the $30 million was for stock. But all that value was just for the brand name. Hello, and welcome to the Brand Tune podcast, which discusses all things brand related, including the essential trademark and IP dimension. I'm your host, Shireen Smith, IP lawyer, brand manager, and author of Brand Tune The New Rules of Branding, Strategy, and Intellectual Property. This is a podcast interview which was originally recorded for the Somi Orion podcast. The interview discusses naming the value that successful brands acquire, domain names, which ones give you better deliverability of emails, how names like Apple and Microsoft ultimately just become names. We also discuss that people don't think of apples or micro and soft when thinking of these famous brands. We talk about how my book highlights what's involved to create a brand, what is possible to protect, identifying trademark classes, and much more. There's a lot of value to be had from this episode, which is why I wanted to feature it on the Brandtune podcast. Enjoy. Before the episode, I wanted to mention the Brandtune accreditation program. It teaches you how to develop a brand strategy that incorporates intellectual property. IP is not just a legal subject that a lawyer can advise on after you've already developed a brand. It goes beyond availability searching and registration of trademarks because the very choices you make during branding, such as of names or other brand identifiers, are IP decisions. Taking IP on board is the way to position a brand for value and success. Register your interest at brandtune.com to be notified when there is more news. I remember, you know, when I started uh, working on Fanpeak, um, it was quite interesting because in the beginning it wasn't Fanpeak, right? If you remember, we yeah. started with Fantalent, sure. right? And uh, it was quite hard to come up with a name and people always have opinions, you know, they're like, oh, why did you not choose this? Why did you choose that? Um, you know, and, and it's so hard to find something that everybody's happy with, you know, so, yeah. so ultimately you, at some point you have to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm, I just need to find the name yeah. and, you know, and, and go with the flow. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience over the time, over time, uh, over the past few years, as you've been working with various clients, what is people's process usually, you know, how do they come up with a name for their business? Um, and then where some of the places where they maybe um, go wrong, you know, what could it be that they could have known before um, making that choice that that would have made their lives easier? Well, I think often people don't realize that they can't choose any name they like, but it has to be a name that's actually available to use. 
And that involves really doing some searches of the trademark registers. That's one common mistake. And it's not at all unusual to find that the name people come in with isn't something that they can have. Um, so it's unfortunate often. Um, a good strategy is to use your own name. So I didn't mention it to you, but if you'd use Somi Orion, for example, that can often be a good strategy for, as a brand name. So Mars, for example, the chocolate people, they started out with the founder's name. And then as they had other products like Skittles and M&Ms and Milky Way, they added new product names. Mm -hmm. So that can be an easier strategy. But really, it's there's no shortcuts for choosing a name that is resonates with you primarily and also with the audience so i don't tend to choose mm -hmm. names for people because um i find it's easier to just advise them about what they can do and then they choose their own name but uh of course in many cases it's not appropriate to use your own name like say for example if i'm building a platform for women in business and technology, it's got to be a platform that is going to have to be bigger than me. Like even now, for example, on Fanpeak, we have Sherpanis, uh, we have six Sherpanis. I'm one of the Sherpanis, even though I'm the founder, uh, but I'm one of the Sherpanis. And then we're going to have Ranamas, you know, and let's say, okay, uh, depending on the type of business that it is, okay, so choosing your own name or using your own name, say Somi Aryan, yes, so using your own name is uh, is one uh, strategy. What else? Um, you know, where does one begin? For example, I went mm -hmm. to websites uh, where they have these AI generated, you know, uh, options where you can put in, you know, some letters, some name mm -hmm. that for the AI to start with. And then you would be able to maybe put in some criteria categories of, I found interestingly enough in some of these where I put, for example, uh, women, and then I put tech, uh, but it would give me something to do with beauty. I was like, I didn't mention beauty. <laughs> where did this come from, right? Like that goes to show the bias, right? Just because there was the women or, or female. And mm -hmm. a lot of the, the names sounded like the name of a, maybe a sanitary product, you know, like, so the, it, I think that there is the AI bias, right. Uh, that for the type of names that are used in mm -hmm. anything that is in, um, it has a connotation of female, you know, it, it, so there's, yeah. there are all of those, right. So, so yeah. So what are some of the other strategies? It depends really on the type of name. So you can have made up names like Google or Microsoft. You find some way of putting elements together and producing a nice sounding name that means something to you, but is perhaps totally made up. Or you can have a descriptive name in the sense that you want to suggest what it is you're doing, which is what you were after. And those names are quite difficult because you don't want to be too close to describing what it is. And on the other hand, you know, it needs to be available and suggest the category. So good choices of things like Toys R Us, Deliveroo, Hotel Chocolat. So those sort of names um, 
which is the type you went for. The thing is, for some businesses, that isn't a good approach. If if you're choosing a name that has to be available internationally for a lot of different products and services, like something like Zumba, then you do need a very unique name. Otherwise, it's quite difficult to find availability. Or what would happen is that you have to trade in different countries under different names, which can get very complicated. You know, like uh, Burger King was um, Hungry Jacks in Australia for a long time. And then now they've got the name, but because of all the brand equity they've created in Hungry Jacks, they've left it as Hungry Jacks. So it's really got to be a name that's available internationally and that's the difficulty if you're only looking in the uk it's much easier so this is interesting okay so we have three categories so far we have made up names suggestive names which is similar to fanpeak right then your own name are there any other categories we need to well people choose um, acronyms but then often a very poor choice of name and the acronyms that are very successful are usually businesses that have chosen descriptive names that aren't capable of registering as trademarks. So when they come to trademarking, they choose acronyms. So like um, HSBC, BT, all these very well-known acronym names only came about because initially they couldn't have registered those descriptive names and the point with with acronyms is that these successful businesses have poured hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars into their brands. So that's why those acronyms are known. But usually it's much better to have a made-up name than an acronym, um, which means something to people because they might choose a name like, I don't know, Business Networking International. That was a a descriptive name it means something to them and then they can turn it into bni or whatever but it's not a good approach generally for finding a good name because that long descriptor doesn't necessarily mean something to other people when they see the initials um there's also the other problem that some people may already own the acronym. So, yeah. for example, the World Wide Fund, they, when they turned to WWF, they had a clash with the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. So they both wanted WWF and they had yeah. trademark disputes for years over that until the Wrestling Federation turned to WWE. So we have made up names, suggestive names, your own name, acronyms. So really it's finding names that already mean something. So an adjective, for example, like apple, shell, just a word that you like that you can turn into a brand name for you. That's often a strategy which usually means something about the business, but it doesn't need to. You can just choose a name that you like. It can be a Greek goddess, anything really, as long as it's legally available. Okay, I mean, so um, so you've written a book recently. So tell me about yeah. what do you cover in the book? Uh, is it yeah. going to be, I mean, I know because I've written a foreword for it, but for our audience, uh, do you want to tell people what you cover uh, in the book so what they can expect to learn from it? 
Yeah, it's called Brand Tune, The New Rules of Branding, Strategy and Intellectual Property. It really covers what's involved to create a brand. From a legal point of view, the, the issues that have implications from an intellectual property perspective are the brand name and any identifiers by which the public or consumers would recognize you. So that can be the logo, any music, characters, symbols. Those are essentially what the brand is all about. The brand equity that you build as you become more and more successful is contained in its trademarks. So you need to make sure you can own these elements. So recently when the Arcadia Group went into administration, they were bought, their brands were bought by ASOS, who didn't buy any of the high street shops, but they paid 295 million for a few brand names, effectively, Miss Selfridge, Top Shop, Top Man. Um, And that is essentially, and the 30 million was for stock, but all that value was just for the brand name. Wow, that is so eye-opening. That's so amazing. So the fact that they paid more for the brand name mm-hmm. than for the actual stock. Yeah, mm-hmm. much more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So that's why it's so important, right? So I was actually going to ask you, like, why is it that, why would you say trademark is important and how does it impact the value of a brand? But this really uh, answers that, right? Yeah, you see, as people get to know your brand, they will have certain associations. You need to try and control that. So by having a position, choosing, say, three or four, the fewer the better, names or concepts that you want your brand to own so that in all your communications, you convey that. And your hope is that consumers will also have those associations to the brand name. But whatever they associate with the brand name, that's where the value lies. And that's what, you know, motivates people to buy one item of a clothing rather than another, for example. So when you say a few, uh, so it could be more than one. So so let's say, for example, we have Fempeak and then we have Sherpanis and we have Ranamos. Like those are all brand names, right? Essentially. Is that how you mean? No, I mean more, how are you going to be different, differentiated from others who might provide a platform like this? So what do you want people to associate with your brand? Mm -hmm. So it's about identifying what people actually want a brand like yours to, to convey and also having something that you are uniquely well placed to provide, you know, It takes a few years, but at some point you should do some sort of survey to get an idea of how much awareness you've created in the market, what people associate with you, and, you know, to try and control that, if you like, by owning one or two adjectives, if you like. Okay, I see. So you mean like like Fempeak is anonymous with so-and-so? Yeah, it's synonymous with, say, finance for females. I don't know, you know, female talent, whatever concepts you decide you want only your brand to be identified with. Okay. Um, So, So for example, 
if somebody was running a, a completely different type of brand, let's say if it was like a clothing brand or a technology brand, you know, like say for example, okay, let's talk about this shoes because I'm, I'm obsessed with shoes. So, okay, Louboutin, okay, everybody knows because of the uh, red thing at the bottom right, the sole. Um, so when I look at, let's say Prada, Jimmy Choo's, you know, like to me, they all look the same. Like there is no differentiation. So how did they go about creating those differentiations? And what happens if somebody now new comes into the market? Yeah, well, exactly. See, the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, who do some research into how brands grow and how brands are recognized, they actually identified that for bigger brands anyway, people don't actually differentiate between them. So it's your distinctive assets, your name, your uh, logo, you know, your colors, those are how people distinguish one brand from another and choose it and prefer it. So they may not know what it is that's different about you, but they just recognize you, know that they like your clothes or whatever it is and gravitate towards you. So these identifiers are really important because you can actually protect them. You can stop competitors copying them, provided you legally protect them and take the right steps. But with differentiation, there's nothing you can do. If somebody copies your positioning, copies your business model, whatever, there's nothing you can do about that. So really the focus has to be on being uniquely identified as you, you know, being distinctive. And you need three or four brand codes by which you're always going to be recognized, you know, colors and uh, symbols are quite good to have because they can be associated with the brand. That's so interesting because it's kind of like in the world of computers, right? Like Mm -hmm. people say, oh, smartphones, like people say to me, oh, this computer has got these incredible features, right? Or uh, this phone has got these great features and I'm like I don't care it's not Apple I only use Apple because I I, because I've bought into the ecosystem right and I like you know Steve Jobs and and the whole story and it's like now I've bought into and and I know sometimes I know they're taking the piss and and like you know that is just way too expensive and but like I've gotten into the ecosystem now and Mm. on the whole I get more out of it than if I had to leave, right, and, and uh, yeah. come out and, and go to something else. Um, yeah, so they I- make everything so easy to use. I think they've really focused on design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other people can also create equally beautiful designs and easy-to-use platforms. But once you know that Apple does that, then, you know, you're already going to go to Apple. You may not be aware of what other people are providing. So do you think that, let's say, for example, Apple is a good example. So it wasn't a name. I remember when we were talking about Femtal and Fempeak, you know, I remember like we had like a ton of names that we were trying to uh, see which one to go for. And you mentioned to me that ultimately the name can be anything and then you you inject meaning into it. Right. And I suppose Apple is a great example. Like Microsoft, you know, you could look at it as on the one hand, you could say, okay, there's the micro and then there's a the software, um, right? But another way of looking at it is like soft. 
and it's like micro, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like like it's small and it's soft, right? <laughs> like so, I I think that if people wanted to, and I I got so many similar kind of things around fanpeak, fantan, all of those things, you know, like people were like. Uh, like, fam, like you know, there's a fam and a peak, and you know, like you know, they just quit. And and I and you mentioned that eventually it comes down to what meaning you inject into it. Who would have thought Apple would become Apple, right? Like it's just yeah. the name of a fruit, right? Don't think of it. And it's not even a whole apple; it's got a bite in it. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't really even think of that. It's a fruit; it's just a name now, isn't it? Yeah. As it's become known, apparently um, Steve Jobs chose that when he was walking through an orchard and thought it would be a good name. Probably. But it's not the best type of name in terms of protectability. So a name like Google is completely unique and distinct. So if somebody registers a domain name that's anything Google in it, that's got Google in it, Google would be able to get those domain names back from whoever is, has bought it because they would have no reason to own a domain with their name in it. Whereas when it's something like Apple, then you know somebody could have the domain because they're selling apples or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's more from a brand protection point of view. The more distinct the name is, the easier it is to protect a name. Yeah, and I suppose when Apple, you know, that was like earlier days of the internet, right? And and it was easy. And like now, it's yeah. so hard. I remember there was a time where you could find anything in dot com. Now you almost cannot find anything in dot com yeah. right <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. pretty impossible yeah um, it's not necessary to have the dot com nowadays i think some people think it is necessary but but yeah. you know i have to say so i remember we had this conversation and i i, I mentioned to you about fem peak oh first of all let's let's address one thing this is in my experience what happens is that when you search something even mm-hmm. if it is available then if you don't buy it right away then you go in next week and it might not be available. It feels like when people search something, yeah. there are, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there is. An you know, but there seems like, yeah, that when you search it, it seems like it, because I I swear, I went and checked fanpeak.com and it was available. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back to it, it wasn't available. So I bought fanpeak.ai. And then later on, I had to put, place a bid and I had to pay uh, quite a lot of money to get fanpeak.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. I, but, but because at that time I was like, okay, we just need to get started. Right. So yeah. I went with, with fanpeak.ai. Um, and, and of course, because technology was a big part of what we were doing. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask you about, I understand that the .com is not necessarily from a branding point of view, maybe not that important, but from a delivery of emails perspective, Mm-hmm. I have noticed that there is a difference. Like, for example, we have somiarian.com, somi-arian.com. We have somiarian.co, somiarian.org, you know, and we've tried all of these because we, we do this massive campaign for uh, outreach campaign for um, asking people if they are interested in joining. And, and by the way, while we are at it, I'm going to address why we're doing it that way, because um, it's very, very hard for us to advertise uh, even if we have the money and we want to advertise, for example, fa- Facebook uh, doesn't approve our advertising 
if we're directly advertising FEMPIC, because it, it says socioeconomic status, raising women's socioeconomic status, they associated it with political, social, you know, and, and then they want us to sign a declaration to say that this is a political or social move or enterprise, which is not, right? Like this is this is simply a, a platform for women in business and technology. Uh, so, so this is one of the reasons why we are doing the kind of outreach that we are doing. But uh, we have noticed that anything with .com, there are a few things that tend to deliver better. For example, I've noticed .org was having some problems, .co was having some problems. You know, it, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg, but um, to, to try and, you know, do you buy all of those and to try and you try it or not? But it seems like .com has the best delivery of emails. Oh, that's very interesting. People also buy .net Um I think in in the time when everyone felt you had to have a .com, if they couldn't get the .com, then the .net was the next one that they would get. I assume the deliverability of emails for that would be quite good as well. Um, I haven't tested that one. Um, I did test a whole bunch of other things, but yeah, could be you know could be possible and oh, uh, definitely worth trying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about some um, something a bit more technical. So from my experience, when we were doing the trademarks for FEMPIC, we had to file six different classes. Can you explain a little bit about what these classes are? You know, somebody listening to this, they're, you know, an entrepreneur and they want to um, maybe register their, uh, their trademark. What can you say about those classes and how do you identify them? Well, basically, names can only be um, monopolized, if you like, for a particular business purpose. So you need to identify why you're using a name and then get the categories that cover what it is you're doing. And it's very easy to search. There's class TM. If, if people Google that, it leads to the EU IPO's website where you can just put a description in and it will bring up the classes that are relevant to it. So you put recruitment in and then it will bring up, say, class 35 and any other class. So you know that that's one of the descriptions you need. Um, basically, names can be shared. So a company like, a name like Polo is owned by three different entities because they are not confused with one another. They exist in different categories. So one is confectionery, one is in cars, and one is clothes, Ralph Lauren's uh, polo shirts. So that's how it works, is that you need to carve out your rights, your territorial claim, if you like. So, and do we need to also trademark other brand elements like logos and, and symbols and things like that? Or for example, in, the, in our case, I, I remember asking you about Sherpani and Ronama and, you know, these terms. Yeah. Well, once you settle on a logo, and I would be, you know, really careful before you decide this is the logo, because I don't think you should ever change a logo after that. Uh, a lot of designers tinker with logos and it impacts people's memorability of the brand, but also it impacts all your trademarks because once you register a logo as a trademark, which you should, um, you know, as soon as changes are made to it, that means you've got to change 
all the registrations. Otherwise, it could invalidate your registration even down the line. So it gets very costly to make changes. With um, some brand elements like colors, you can't own them straight away. They have to become uniquely associated with your brand for you to then be able to own them. I just, I must mention actually Coca-Cola because they were being copied right, left and center when they decided that they needed a bottle that even illiterate people would be able to tell that this is a Coca-Cola bottle. So they had a bottle designed for them and then they actually had a strategy to getting a trademark for it. They registered it as a design, which then gave them some legal protection to be able to stop anyone else using that bottle shape. And then after about 14 years of advertising, promoting, so that people would associate that bottle shape with the brand, that's when they could get a trademark. And the value of a trademark is that it lasts forever, potentially, as long as you renew it and use a trademark. Whereas with a design registration, it has a very limited life. So you can only renew up to 25 years. So a few lessons we learned today. Trademarks last forever. They can... Provided you renew them. So they run out after 10 years, but you provided you renew it, you can renew it for 200 years or more. Okay. And that potentially your brand name could be more valuable than any asset that you own in the brand. Um, and well, also these identifiers that you develop gradually, like, for example, a um, logo, it depends what the logo is, but a symbol, colors, whatever, you should choose them to be as different as possible to what is out there that competitors are using. People often say that you need to have meaning, but that's how you end up all having the same sort of color in an industry. What you want is to be standing out, be different, so that you can also stand a chance of getting a trademark for that color eventually. Yeah, but because but the issue with the colors is that there is um, <laughs> there are only so many colors, right? Like it's, it's so difficult. Um, and for example, I remember when I was thinking about colors for Fempeak, people were like, okay, um, usually if you want it to be quite professional, you know, you go with blue, you know, blue is a color. That's why it was, it was like, okay, but then that's LinkedIn, you know, then they're like, oh, but uh, pink is too female. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it is a female, uh, you know, and then people were like, no, but pink is too much like, you know, too associated with like Barbie style. You know? mm-hmm. So eventually I, I just sort of went with I said, look, we're going to go with a a combination of pastel colors because it is very calming. And we will have elements of both pink and blue, you know, because then then that way we will have addressed both of those. But um, there are only so many colors, right? And it's it's so hard. So do you have any uh, suggestion as to where do people start uh, when going for colors? Well, it's to have a look at what competitors are using and as I say, be as different as possible. You don't have to use blue and pink. For example, you could use um, a certain shade of yellow or any any colour, really. You could go for black and white. So the thing is to see what there is in your industry and how can you... Personally, the way I looked at it, uh, in the end, I was like, I'm going to 
Uh, actually, my favorite color is yellow, like the yellow that I'm wearing, maybe a bit more mustardy, like a bit, a dash of like maybe orange into it. But uh, I do really like pastel colors because I find them so calming. Uh, and I think like we are in this world of social media, you know, like everything is so loud. Um, and I just wanted to kind of convey a sense of calm, especially when we are talking about technology and finance, you know, like I didn't want it to be like too much in, in your face because the content is already, you know, it's like yeah. quite strong. Um, and so far we have had very, very good feedback from people from, from the design, except for some people in the beginning, maybe we had a little bit more pink and some people were like, oh, there's too much pink, but, but we've addressed that now we have got more shades of kind of purple um but yeah it is it's like a science and an art and in the end i would personally say and i wonder whether you agree with that uh, uh personally i would say in the end it's got to be something that you enjoy going to that like you personally as a founder you know as uh, the founding team yeah. you love it you know that you yeah. every day you go into it and you you're like this is pleasing to my eye you know every time i go like we've got so many good uh so so much good feedback on this uh, design of the the woman who turns her her yeah. head, you know. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it's going to be something that you like it. Like you go in and you say, yeah. "Do I enjoy this UI?" If you don't enjoy it, then yes. um, so well. Also, think, yeah. the purpose of it is to make you noticeable. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be in your face, but it's how buyers or people looking in their feeds notice things. So you need to think about that and really ultimately about not changing it. Once you settle on something and you're still very early days, but once you identify what it's going to be for permanently, you will get bored with it. And that's when it's a bad idea to change. To change it, yes. Yeah, actually, I remember one of our share parties was like, okay, I'm getting tired of this woman. Every time I go in, I'm seeing the same picture of the, the woman. I was like, no, it's working. People like it, you know, like, yeah. let's not change. <laughs> um, but I think we are going to make some changes, but I've kept that in there for now, at least. Are so you are, using anything yeah. else? Because often it's quite good to use a symbol of some sort, a character. Are you using anything? Um, what do you mean by the by the symbol? Obviously, we have the logo, which is like the. What is the logo? Is it um, more than the name written out? No, no. It's uh, let me share my screen with you for people who are watching on YouTube. At least they can see. I saw so, the one at the very beginning that you had. Right. So this is this is the logo, right? Because it's like the peak, right? And it's yeah. the mountain. Well, that, and also because we have Sherpanis and we have Branamas, you know, they like it's about we're we're using the mountain climbing uh, metaphor. Yeah. Um, we're using the mountain climbing metaphor for yeah. everything we're doing. And as we bring in more collaborators, we're using like, you know, Sherpanis help you get to the top of Mount Everest. Ranamas help you get to the top of say Mount uh, Outboards, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Damavant, uh, you know, things like that. So uh, so we are gonna um, bring in more, uh, I think, you know, I've been reading more and more about mountain mountaineering and, and I think it's a really good um, metaphor for what we are trying to do. Yes, it is. So that, for example, you, you should protect it, the logo. But ultimately, you see, brands like Nike that have become, have become known with the swoosh, it's after years and years of using the swoosh with the name 
but also a lot of promotion that means the swoosh on its own has become famous. And that's what you might be able to achieve ultimately with that symbol of yours. Yeah, so from, you need to music. keep using it, bring it into your, you know, marketing, the way you design different places, you know. So you must have a distinct look by using certain codes that include your logo and that symbol. And maybe you'll come up with others, but then you get a very distinct look that will be used in different ways. But those elements might be present. And that's how you they will then become very valuable IP. And you should definitely protect those as well. Okay, awesome. Okay, so last question. Let's talk about timing. So at what point should one again, you know, a bit of a chicken and egg, right? Sometimes like you start something. And maybe in the beginning, you don't have a lot of money yeah. um, and, and it's not cheap to do all these trademarks in so many different yeah. countries, yeah. Um, right? So at what point should you say, okay, I need to really put money behind? Like say, if you're at a place where you have to kind of, you have a small pile of money and you have to decide, am I going to go raise investment? You know, I need somebody to help me with getting ready, investor ready, yeah. you know, and then you're like, okay, now I have to also protect my IP and maybe your brand hasn't even fully evolved to a point that you know for sure what is worth protecting, right? But there's been times where, you know, you maybe come up with something and, and you protect it, right? And then you go to investors and then they say, uh, like, are you really settled on the name? You know, do you not yeah. want to like consider this and that, right? Mm. Uh, and then by that time, it's maybe late. So what comes first, trading or other elements? Uh, well, I often advise people to go with a temporary name in the early days when they're trialing the concept, trying to get something off the ground, if that could work for them. Um, if you use a name that you're not particularly in love with and it's okay for you to rebrand, then you don't need to really bother with trademarking in those very early days. But as soon as you have a name that you want to be identified with, then trademarks is like a cost of being in business. It should be one of the first things you do. There was this business that set up around the same time as Amazon. They were called Amazon Network. They were a professional services type of business. And Amazon set up around the same time selling books. But the Amazon networks didn't register their trademark. They could have both coexisted because they had different classes. They didn't, you know, they weren't doing competing stuff. But by 2005, Amazon got wind of them and they received cease and desist letters and they had to rebrand and they went bust, actually. <laughs> the thing is, um, it's so easy, so cheap to actually register a trademark. It's compared to the costs of actually litigation. It's very cheap. And if a big brand likes the name you're using and wants to use it, they would buy you out if you have a trademark. Whereas if you're just using a name and relying on unregistered trademark rights, you know they'll just completely ignore you because they know that you'd have to be able to afford litigation to defend yourself and you're not going to be able to do that so 
So really for small businesses, it's actually more important to protect what you've got because, you know, it's relatively cheap to do it, especially just within your own country, never mind Mm -hmm. internationally, and so much more cost-effective than litigation. Okay, uh, I I know I said final question, but one more question. Mm -hmm. So should people go to someone like you to help them with these things or should they just go online and do it themselves? You know, I'm the kind of person that I tend to not do DIY. Um, you know, I'm like, I, unless it's something that I'm really good at, like marketing, which is my forte, mm-hmm. you know, or like when I something which is like filmmaking, well, I'm a filmmaker, right? Why would I pay someone else to make my film? But what with anything where, mm-hmm. you know, like things to do with finance, you know, things like that, you know, and, and trademarking, I know that there are websites where you can, but then you are kind of second guessing. And for me, it was uh, it was worth having uh, you know somebody to make sure that I was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. But but if you don't have a lot of money and you know you're trying to save, you know how do you even make sense? Like for example, I wouldn't have known which classes we needed. You know we ended up with six classes, right? And and all of those things. So uh, how good are those websites where they kind of tell you that they would do it all? Those websites, well, basically the intellectual property offices do a lot of explaining. I've had a client tell me that he spent 50 hours actually learning how to do trademarking. So if you are willing to put the time into it to do it properly, you can certainly do it. But it's not something to just do in a cavalier way because I've seen people with registrations in totally the wrong classes. They haven't even got protection, but they've gone and paid to, you know, and then they've got this false sense of security. So it's only once you have to use your trademark that you realise whether it's good or not. So, you know, I think if people are willing to put the time and effort in to do a good job and that you know and they do manage to do a good job then fine but otherwise get a professional to do it yeah it all comes down to that battle of like time versus money right for me my time is the most expensive asset in my business right there's just so much I can do Uh, so so for me going for a walk and thinking about some big picture of something to do with my business is much more valuable than sitting there trying to figure something out. Another point that's worth mentioning is that a trademark registration alone is pretty pointless. What really matters is assessing whether you can use a name. So you need a professional to do that for you. So for example, SkyDrive had been registered as a trademark by Microsoft And nevertheless, they were infringing on Sky. They obviously hadn't done their checks. And so they had to rebrand to OneDrive. So if you do it yourself, at least get a professional to do the checking for you to establish that you can use the name. That's Mm -hmm. really important. Awesome. So do you want to tell people where to find your book, your your, uh, website, your, you know, yeah. so that they can and well, I, uh, a disclaimer you know I, I have to say that you did our trademarks and and you know it was uh, you've been very very helpful so uh that's why I thought that you had so much uh knowledge and and experience that I wanted you to share that with with other people yeah 
Thank you for listening to this episode. Do stay in touch. Sign up to the Brandtune newsletter or take the Brandtune quiz to find out if you're on track to be the go-to first choice brand for your ideal customers.